E-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. All right, so we are what? Four days now, going on four days removed from the election, and we still don't know who's president. Uh, That's fun. Uh, Well, at least as we're recording here, we don't know who's president. Brian Nichols here on the Brian Nichols Show. Uh, Yeah, what's up, folks? It's been a weird week, eh? Uh, Happy election week instead of election day. Um, It's been weird. It's been a very weird time in America, a lot of uncertainty, um, and I, I know a lot of folks are kind of anxious, trying to figure out what's going to happen next, and I mean, right now, what we can focus on are the things we can control, and uh, what we control is is how we interact with each other, and also how we treat each other, right? And and I think if we can all go back to treating some people with some common principles, the, the golden rule, right, uh, treat people the way you would want to be treated, which I dare say is not hurting them and not taking their stuff, then I think we would be in a much better place. And that's actually the exact argument that today's guest makes, and that is Ian Dunt. Now, Ian is uh, coming from over across the Atlantic, over in the United Kingdom. He is the uh, editor of politics.co.uk, which is one of the largest political websites in the UK. Also frequent appear on the BBC, and he's joining today to discuss his brand new book, How to Be a Liberal, talking about, yes, those classically liberal ideas that libertarians, both of the left and right variety, tend to agree on. It's actually fun. It's a great conversation. The different context of looking at liberty, um, just from being from different countries. It was a great conversation. Uh, now, yes, this was interviewed. Uh, this interview took place before the election, so you're going to hear uh, Ian discussing our, our upcoming presidential election between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So it's uh, either way, it's, it's a great conversation. It's a really a lot of fun and uh, overall a great opportunity to learn of how to be a liberal. So without further ado, onto the show, Ian Dunt here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hello, mate. Not too bad at all. 
Good to have you on the show. You are uh, easily one of my most exciting guests to have on the show. I, I read your book, uh, How to Be a Liberal, and it was uh, one of those books I, I literally I could not stop. Page turner after page. I, I, I found myself, I was like nodding in agreement the whole time because right now we're in a really uh, tumultuous time, I'd say, where people are they're looking for um, kind of this sense of purpose, right? This idea of what does it mean to be human? Right. And, and I think we're, we're coming to this, this split in the road where are we going to embrace the ideas of this collective hive mind mentality or are we going to embrace the, the tenets of the individual, the ideas of, of personal liberty? And that's to your book, How to Be a Liberal. So to start off here, Mr. Ian Dunn, let's kind of do the backstory. Now, obviously, you're the editorial uh, director over at it's politics.co.uk. Um, and also you're the host of a fantastic podcast. So you've been uh, spreading your, your messaging and your ideas across BBC, um, televisions over in the UK. And now we're bringing you over to the, uh, over across the pond in the United States. So tell us a little bit of the, the backstory, the Ian Dunn story and kind of how it, you got to where you are today. There's not much to tell, really, mate. I'm I'm just a political journalist um, who can't keep his mouth shut, really. So <laughs> it was, um, and before 2016, the kind of stuff I would write about would be immigration, free speech, drug law reform, these kind of like classic kind of liberal issues, right? And then 2016 comes and you just get that double body blow for me of like first Brexit and then Trump. And I just thought, okay, so I, what's happening here right now is is a global wave of nationalist politics. We'd seen, if I'd had my eyes open, I would have seen the signs of this stuff in Hungary and in Italy and in various other countries before then. But I I was complacent, like utterly complacent. I just always thought, well, this stuff will, this is kind of just loonies just shouting off, we'll be fine. And then suddenly we got the body blow. And from that moment on, it's just about trying to understand what's going on with us, why it's happening and how to stop it. Yeah. And so you've been obviously focusing on not just so much the, the political aspect of things, but more so on like the, the principles, right? And I think that's one thing I really did enjoy about your book was that it's kind of overtly like non like partisan, right? There, you, you try to avoid talking about political parties and more so focusing again on the, the, the individual ideas. And, and you keep on going back to a lot, of, you know, you start, I know you mentioned like John Stuart Mill talking about the tenets of the, the harm principle and going through some of the modern thinkers, you know, meant, I know you mentioned up like Milton Friedman and so forth. And, um, there was one part I thought in the book that was very interesting. And you start to dig into the differences between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And mm-hmm. the one part that you, you, you focus on is that because in the American Revolution, the founders and the framers, they really made it a focus to really embrace the concepts of this personal, individual freedom mentality that you can live your life so long as you're not harming somebody else. And I, I love the expression, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. As long as you're kind of living in that mentality, go, do your thing. Right. So there's like two differences, right, between the American and the French Revolution. And I say all of this, by the way, as someone who finds the French Revolution much more interesting to read about. Like, no offense, but the, the American Revolution is fine, but like, you know, it, it's a bit more pedestrian. Once you get to the French Revolution, it's just blood and horror and some of the highest ideals of, of the human race. It is amazing. Nevertheless, the French Revolution goes catastrophically wrong and the American Revolution goes remarkably right. And I think there's two reasons for that. First one is the separation of powers. That Right at the start in the American project, you've got this really fixed notion of, we're not going to allow power to stay in one place. We're going to carve it up. We're going to balance it against itself. 
you have it naturally in that situation because of the state system, because you've got all these like ruggedly independent sort of states, which really don't want to hand up power to the center. But you also have it in this incredibly sophisticated assessment of how you separate power within those states and within the federal structure, within the court system, uh, within Congress. The second part that you have that works very well is a complete rejection of the philosophy of Rousseau. Rousseau was this kind of lunatic Swiss, uh, Swiss philosopher in the 18th century, he came up with an idea called the general will, which sounds very democratic, but it really isn't. It's, a, it's the idea that when you bring a bunch of people together in a political society by a kind of transcendental act of collective consciousness, they come to a conclusion about politics and individual rights should be subsumed into that decision that they make. So in other words, if you get 99% of people in the society that want to oppress the 1%, they are entitled to do it as part of their general will. America doesn't have that idea in it. It's kind of the American Revolution is really based on sort of predominantly English radical literature from the century beforehand and, and a few decades before. Uh, the French Revolution has the, a different problem. They don't separate power. Mostly that comes because of a weird technicality on how the revolution took place. A lot of the incentive of the revolution was to make sure that all of the various parts of the Estates General, which is basically, you know, their political organization body, meet in the same place. So the last thing they want to do afterwards is cut it all up and meet in different places. And secondly, they're kind of in love with this Rousseau idea of the general will. And that just drives them into this, this kind of, catastrophically ill-judged idea of collective consciousness and of which essentially turns into mob rule so for that yeah you look at those two revolutions and you come to a pretty good idea about some really deep political issues yeah and, and you you hit the nail on the head mob rule right there i i think that we're starting to see people waking up a little bit to maybe democracy like this pure democracy that there's been this uh, this this fervor that I'm especially seeing here in America, and I, I'm sure you're seeing it over in, in Europe as well, where this this idea just just because you know everybody wants to to have this in this mentality of fifty plus one majority rule, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way to run a society because I think more folks are starting to be more aware, and I think maybe it's because of the advent of things like the internet that you have to still live with your neighbors and they're still going to have these beliefs just because you win the election doesn't mean that those ideas go away. Right. So how do you be able to interact with each other? Right. So that kind of goes to the, the idea of how to be a liberal is in embracing those individual qualities instead of looking at the person as a part of this collective, looking at them as the value that they're bringing forward as a person. Mate, that's spot on. So, I mean, to me, one of the big sort of issues in the history of humanity and certainly the history of the last 400 years is the individual versus the group. And certain people in politics want you to think in terms of the group. They want you to think in terms of solely your nation or your religion or your race or your sex. And that, that is the defining attribute about you. Now, where that politics leads us, and I think it's happening right now on the right and the left, I care more about it on the right because they're in power. So it, so it simply matters more. Um, is this idea that politics is basically a zero-sum game. You want your group to win, they want their group to win. And we're all kind of homogenous with those who are supposedly like us and completely distinct from those who aren't. And the liberal view, and you know, when I'm using the word liberal, right, in this context, I'm not using it in the American way to just mean left wing. In this context, it means the actual philosophy. Right. The liberal view is that we are individuals and we might have group identity like I do, right? I like my country. I like my city. I, I consider myself part of that group. 
but that doesn't define me and it doesn't make me homogenous with those who are like me. And it certainly doesn't make me put me in some kind of conflict with those who aren't. So on that basis, it's a philosophy for people who value their own unique eccentricities and their own take in life, who want to live life on their own terms, not because of the way that other people say that they should live their life or to fit in with the culture around them. And that requires a politics of trade-off, of broad electoral coalitions, of rationality. That's the politics that we want. And that is certainly right now in Britain and America, that is not the politics that we have. No, and I love the part too, because we, we, this goes right forward to economics, right? Keynes versus Hayek. And, mm-hmm. and you apply this from an economic perspective and you see this. If if you have a, a top-down mentality of we're going to just dictate what we think should be, you know, and, and again, central planning 101, what we think should be, you know, the answer to these problems. And my, man, we're seeing this right now across the world in the government responses in many cases to the, to the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But then you go more towards like the, the, the free market approach. Let let the market do what the market does, right? Let, let people interact and let those unique individual uh, qualifiers that each person brings to the table, let those be something that they can use as, as a value add. To, so your service is now something that is on the marketplace competitively better than somebody else's. And and it, it really, it pushes people to start to innovate. It pushes people to get better. I mean, heck, you look at like what we're doing right now. We're having a face-to-face conversation over, you know, thousands of miles of water. And that it's only possible because there were people who were trying to always push the envelope. But again, that was because there was incentive structures in place, right? If there was no, if there was no incentive structure for that one person to want to do better, and it really goes down, really, from you look from the top down, it always comes down to the individual. If the individual loses that magic spark, then it really, it's a domino effect. And, and it really does have a, a really ne- negative long-term, I would say, implication, not just on the, the society at that snapshot moment, but 10, 15, 20 years on the road, things that we're not even prepared for because that one domino was knocked over here in 2020, for example. So uh, that's mostly true. I mean, liberalism has a very close relationship with capitalism, but it has two wings to its economic thought, right? On the one hand, you have like the Hayek wing, which goes back to people like uh, Benjamin Constant, sort of French philosopher in the 1800s, incredible bloke, by the way. I mean, you wouldn't want to know him because he'd spend the entire time trying to sleep with your wife and borrow money from you, which he would never pay back. But his philosophy was absolutely fantastic. Um, And earlier than that, arguably to Adam Smith and John Locke, And then you have the sort of, that's the laissez-faire wing. Then you have the sort of egalitarian liberalism wing, which really starts with John Stuart Mill and goes back again, and of course is expressed by by Keynes against Hayek in the 20th century, and goes back again to Adam Smith. And those two views are basically different views of the individual's freedom when it comes to economics. On the laissez-faire wing, you get, look, you get to keep all your stuff. And more importantly than that principle, um, the market by being set free, will increase the material well-being of everyone involved, the invisible hand, basically, supply and demand, and this is how the process works. The John Stuart Mill argument and the Keynes argument is slightly different. Uh, And John Stuart Mill put it best, but he basically said, um, the question of the state versus the market does not admit of a universal synthesis. And that is, he was basically going back to parts of Adam Smith, where if you look at what Adam Smith said about the state, he thought there are situations where the state has to do stuff. First of all, it has to take taxes to pay for itself to exist. Secondly, it needs to protect us against foreign invasion. It also needs to, you know, adjudicate on justice disputes inside the territory. But then he said, there is such a thing as market failure. 
So for him, he was thinking about things like canals during the Industrial Revolution, right? Like you don't want to build 20 canals all going to the same place. You, you really do need to just sort that out between you. And you don't really want a private monopoly there. And so that other wing of liberalism, which essentially says market where it works, the state where it works, it essentially says we need to be equally wary of the state and the market. The, both of these things can threaten freedom and both of them can massively expand freedom at the same time. Both of those wings are still liberalism. These are debates within liberalism, not between liberalism and communism or liberalism and fascism. This is an internal liberal debate that we've been having for hundreds of years. Yeah, and that kind of goes. So in America, right, you're going to hear this this debate, the left right libertarian, right. That's kind of how it's framed in American politics. Um, and and it's it's funny, like. <laughs> I laugh because right now we're going through our election uh, cycle. So we have Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and then the Libertarian candidate was Joe Jorgensen. And even in the nomination process for the Libertarian presidential candidate, there was this this kind of left versus right Libertarian. And it, it kind of goes all oh, back to the, how you approach the, the I guess, the, the economic standpoint from a liberal standpoint, right? And that it's funny that that's still carrying through to this day in America even. And... It's it's interesting because history, even though it doesn't necessarily repeat itself, it certainly rhymes, and and we're seeing the echoes, right? And and right now, I mean, that was one of the main points of your book is just like that this this embrace of just the big liberalism in general really is is the it's almost the only response to this current rising tide of of national populism. Could you speak to more about that in a little detail? Yeah, that's true. And I think that we gave up our principles long before this happened. Man. Like, we didn't make the case. I mean, like, I, and I, and I speak about myself in that, right? Like, when it comes to things like drug legalization, when it comes to things like open borders, um, we just stopped making the arguments. So over and over, you would find liberal-minded people would go into the court system. Over here, we have the European Convention of Human Rights, which is a really powerful piece of human rights legislation. We can just use that to fight these battles in the courts, but we weren't doing it on TV. We weren't doing it in the newspapers. We weren't doing it in the pub. When it came to the separation of powers, it was the same thing. People just wouldn't argue about the fact that you've got to cut power up. We allowed the right to make those arguments. And eventually authoritarian thought blossomed, at least in this country, on left and right. Like when we had a Labour government last, I mean, I obviously prefer that government to the one we have now, and I would vote for it in a fucking... Sorry, can I swear on your podcast? You're, yeah, you're good. Okay, right. I mean, I, I would vote for that in a fucking heartbeat if I could. But they were tremendously authoritarian. They wanted to give us ID cards that policemen could check on the street. They were pushing for 28 days pre-charge detention. The right comes in and do the same thing. We just stop fighting for our values. And suddenly you get this moment where like, if you don't fight for an idea... If you don't keep blood flowing through it, especially liberal ideas, it will fossilize and crumble to dust in your hands. And that is what happened to us. We had guys coming along that didn't share any of these assumptions about what the freedom of the individual was, about the absolute moral primacy of thinking in those terms. And they took us out because we'd forgotten how to argue for our principles. And that's part of the reason of doing the book was just to say, remember what this stuff is. This stuff was invented by people fighting tyrants. And they came up with these ideas for a reason. Because this is how you fight an overmighty power. And we, we forget that stuff at our absolute peril. So we're going forward right now into, I would say, very 
uncertain waters. We're recording, you know, right here at the end of October. The American election is just around the corner. And by the time this is is airing here next week, um, the election, we'll, we'll know the re- election results and, and God help us. We'll see mm-hmm. how America is doing. But I guess, you know, I'm looking at both sides of of the political aisle in America between both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And candidly, I, I see two sides of the same coin. And it really goes back to this, um, in this case, a spitting in the face almost of these pure liberal ideas, these ideas of embracing the individual. And it seems that each party is in this collective, almost um, identitarian mindset where it's it's red team, blue team. It's not, you know, John in who who is a plumber from from Scottsdale or Arizona. It's it's not Ian, you know, who's who's a political commentator from London. It, and and that's I think you know, well obviously you wouldn't be voting in America. Well I hope not unless it's it's the mail mail in <laughs> ballots we have. I would if I could mate, I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> so like I, I I guess I'm I'm gonna ask you, right? What would you say to Americans being a third party and obviously it, it's tough because everything you're seeing is through the confines of what you, you can see, but I mean, maybe it'd be good for a, a kind of a, an objective third party who's not a part of the family squabble we have in here. What's kind of your analysis of what's going on with us? I don't. I mean, look, I'm not objective. I, I have views on this stuff, and, and and I don't see that they're two sides of the same coin at all. Um, if you take uh, those kids that were separated from their parents on the Trump's immigration policy, now that is a catastrophic attack on the freedom of the individual. That's what that is, and and I don't see anything that compares to that on the Biden side. In fact, in fact, to be honest, that proposal was put to Barack Obama and they sat there and they considered it for exactly two minutes. They said afterwards, we thought about this for two minutes and we thought, that's not what America is. That's not what we do. Now, it is what America does. It is what America is. And that seems to me to be an existential threat. More importantly, well, I don't know about more importantly, but let's say more broadly, I don't hear Biden using the phrase the people, the will of the people, enemies of the people in the same way that I do Trump. Now, that makes a big difference to me. I saw a a campaign spot by Biden the other day where he was talking about, I mean this to Republicans and I mean it to Democrats. Now, that seems like a kind of almost anodyne pedestrian thing to say. And it used to be, right? It isn't anymore. Now, the the direction of politics is towards finding your tribal group and delivering to that group and ideally doing it in a divisive way against the other side. At least I was seeing from Biden that he was making an appeal of saying, well, no, my job would be to be ruling for everyone. The thing about the the notion of the individual is that it is the only truly universal category. We think of it, and lots of people think it sounds like a selfish term, but in fact, it's the opposite. It's the only way to protect everyone. So when I see one political leader appealing to universal values for the whole of the country, and I see the other one just appealing to their to, to their tribal base, to me, it's very, very easy to know which side I'm on. It it's so funny because um I I get lambasted my show because I have a lot more in America you consider more right leaning libertarians who I dare say are more mm-hmm. sympathetic towards the Donald Trump uh you know GOP wing of of American electorate I know and I I would say a lot I I would more be in the the Joe Jorgensen camp I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr Jorgensen but Dr Jorgensen is the Libertarian Party uh, presidential nominee and I've had her on my show a couple times and and you know, I think from a purely principled standpoint when we're talking about liberal ideas she would be you know crown jeweled number one across the board and then i would say that joe biden and in, to your argument in your like if you were to do a ranked choice voting he would be you know i would say from what you we've talked about today probably your number two have you looked into joe jorgensen by chance i'm just curious 
No, 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 I'm sorry. I wouldn't have any expertise in that. Area. No, no, no worries. Because um, honestly, it's she's not even getting on on national news here in America. So I'm sure it's even more difficult for folks over in the UK to hear about her. Um, but she would be, I would say, more indicative and representative of what it means to be a true liberal. And then I'm, I'm, I'm I guess I'd ask you. I know it's a, a little unfair because you don't know about her, but based on like, assuming I'm telling you is, is correct, right? You were mentioning earlier about like fighting for the values. Would you recommend to Americans, because this is a really big argument we're having in America, is people get told third party votes, they're wasting your time, you're not, you're, you're, you should just go play the team sport, vote for, you know, the red team or blue team, and, and vote for who you think, and, and I would say, you know, to the argument you were making earlier, you know, vote for who is not the, 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 you know, person who's going to be pushing the country into the ground. And, and there's tons of people in my audience who are completely sympathetic to that argument that like they look at Trump as the ultimate evil. He is, he's running the country into a very dangerous, uh, future. Um, and Biden is like, you know, just the, the stop. Like he's going to hopefully cut a, cut that rope right there where it is right now. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess, would you say that the third party approach to even though that person might be more reflective of your values and as we're talking about liberalism here that it might actually end up hurting you more so than it would be to make that almost like a protest vote to to be the the ultimate wall yeah it's funny you know but i i am incredibly pragmatic with my voting we have the same system that you guys have over there right we have first past the post and i have never in my life cast a vote for a party I have cast a vote to prevent the worst outcome. That is, and that is the entirety of my voting life. I've never had the privilege, the pleasure of actually voting for a party I really believed in. Now, there are some parties that have popped up that I could, but they weren't going to win. And if they're not going to win, to me, I've just got to try and limit the worst outcome and then lobby within parties for liberal values. And to me, that goes for the right and the left. Like here, the Conservatives and the Labour Party have both in recent years shed any kind of liberal notion. You've got to have that fight within those parties and improve them. But when it comes to the actual outcome of an election, if I feel that I'm going to put my vote somewhere where they can't win, I just think, well, what what am I doing? Unless I really can't make any difference between the two leading candidates that are actually going to become prime minister. I have to ask just out of interest, uh, right-wing liberals, uh, libertarians or whatever, Voting for Trump. I mean, how do they feel about the the tariffs? It seems to me, just on on right wing economic terms, this guy is is not a right wing liberal under any criteria. Oh no, you're 100 percent right. And actually, I've I've had lots of libertarian economists in the show, and from a, a purely economic standpoint, no, that not a fan at all. Um, but when you go more towards, and we call these these folks more the conservatarian, so it's this conservative Republican, but it's a hybrid with a, a more classical liberal, if you will. Um, that they look at the tariffs as a means to an end. Uh, not so much, they, they, they acknowledge that in their entirety, tariffs are not, they're net negative. But if they are a means to get a behavioral change, it's almost, I mean, they, they're kind of using the tariffs like they would use drug laws in America, right? To try to change behavior um, for better or for worse. That's, I think that's the mentality that they're approaching it with. I can't, I mean, I, I, I would... I can't find any liberal argument in that at all because I don't even know what the changes that they'd want to see. To me, like whenever I was hearing Trump talk about uh, China, I just thought, what on earth are you talking about? I mean, he calls it it's a tra- the trade deficit simply means that you're buying more of their stuff because you want their stuff. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that sounds all right to me. That's a win-win, right? You get cheap, you know, electronic manufacturing goods. What's the problem? That's the whole idea of how this is supposed to operate. I can't. I I I would fail to understand that argument. Uh, 
in its entirety. Well, trust me, there, don't don't worry. There's a lot of libertarians who also fail to, to understand the argument. I mean, mm-hmm. right now it's it's funny. We have group chats and and you know uh, Facebook groups over here in America for all the different little subsects of libertarian um, groups that there are, and and they n- none of us can agree on on stuff either. So don't worry. It, it's it's tough on us <laughs> to even come to an agreement as a you know. And, and that's the one thing too. It's crazy is that I'd say the libertarian party in America. We agree on probably like 90% of the issues, honestly, but we'll, we will focus, I swear, Ian, on those 10% and we will fight on that 10% to, to our, our, our grave. And it'll be to our detriment too, because then meanwhile, we have the other two parties who are making all the rules. And I think to your point, actually, it's funny. That's been also a reoccurring theme I've had here on my show is more and more people are, I think, are starting to get a little, weary of a third party and they're saying listen if 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 this is the game that we're playing right now and it is this current two-party system especially in america that you know what maybe we are going to vote for the party or to your argument vote against the worst outcome so i guess for the other people right and in my day job beyond doing what i do here for the podcast i'm a sales professional i lead a sales team and what i'm focused on is always trying to build value but also to basically meet people where they're at so we can be problem solvers. So I, I would say here as we have the, the final five minutes, I would love to to frame up this question for you. You, if you were the ultimate problem solver and you had the magic wand, right, to give the perfect remedy to not just America, but to the the, country, the nation as a, or not nation, I'm sorry, the world as a whole, where it, there is this rising sentiment of of this focus on the collective and in focusing on going after each other based on our our groups that we're identifying each other as but instead focusing on the individual how do we sell that message to your average person so then they can embrace it and actually live it in their lives and lead us to an actually more liberal society they're not very demanding your questions are they now i've just got to fix the entirety (laughs) of liberalism in america that's easy it's a piece of it as well um to me i don't find that argument hard to make, even though the whole of the tides of politics across the West right now, and even in parts outside of the West, you could look at India, Israel, uh, Brazil, arguably all going in the same direction. Even though all the tides are going the other way, when you get to sit down with someone, I think it's pretty easy to get them to think of themselves as an individual because people want to. And that's not some kind of coincidence, right? That's There is a fundamental existential truth to that. We are individuals fundamentally. It is objectively true that we are individuals. No one that I know likes to think of themselves as a worker bee, as, as exactly the same as the people around them, as, as homogenous with those around them. People like to think of themselves as an individual. And if you speak to them in that way and go, look, you're an individual. You are not the same as those like you. You are capable of thinking for yourself. You will make your own life and come to your own conclusions on the basis of what you see around you. People wish to think of themselves in those terms. They're really open to those arguments. And if you do it in that way, in a way that celebrates them rather than condemns them for the choices that they made, I tend to find that you get a pretty open audience. You at least get a hearing. And a hearing is all you ever really need when you happen to be speaking the truth. And find some common ground, for goodness sakes. Don't always go in with guns a-blazing. I think, I, you know, I've never found that I've ever been able to close a sale if I start out by saying, you're a bad person and you made a bad <laughs> choice in your first sale that you guys did with your first solution doesn't work that way and, and like and, and that's how a lot of people in politics approach things and, and that's why I, I really did enjoy um how to be a liberal honestly because you you approach it without the partisan lens and it, it comes down to again these common really easy to understand values of, of embracing the individual celebrating those differences encouraging people to 
to embrace those differences. Uh, but with that being said, Ian Dunn, uh, it's such a great conversation. So the book is How to Be a Liberal. Um, I will make sure I include the link in the show notes so folks can go ahead and uh, and give a great purchase. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I cannot recommend it enough. But with that being said, where can folks go ahead and follow you? Obviously, uh, there's a lot going over in the UK. I'm sure that you, you've been staying uh, very busy as, as COVID-19 has been going over there. So folks want to stay up to date with all that's happening over there with you. Uh, where can they go ahead and follow you? I am Ian Dunt on Twitter, I-A-N-D-U-N-T, and I will give you a blow-by-blow account of the absolute shitstorm that we have over here, which is almost as bad as the one that you have over there. <laughs> well, how about this? Your your friend, uh, friends can follow us at uh, B Nichols Liberty, and they can stay up to date with what we have over on here. It's not much better. I promise you that. Ian Dunt, thank <laughs> you so much. How to Be a Liberal, a great book, a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining The Brian Nichols Show. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the X. Pat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on the Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. What an episode to learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever to do your banking there, or to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit, because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikhail Thorup, originally started as a podcast, but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location, independent lifestyles. Mikhail is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikhail a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Ian Dunt, How to Be a Liberal. Fantastic book. I will include the link to the book in the show notes. Please go ahead and support Ian. And then while you're doing that, make sure you go ahead and share today's episode with some family and friends. And while you're at it, make sure you tag me on Facebook, Twitter, Minds.com, and yes, Parlor.com. Tag me at B Nichols Liberty. Find me on all four of those sites at B Nichols Liberty. Easy enough to remember. And uh, also, folks, if you have not had the chance yet to hit that subscribe button over on your favorite podcast catcher, well, what's keeping you? Because not only can you do that, but while you're there, give us a five star rating and review because you you will then be entered into our fantastic Ebels giveaway. Again, fantastic new sponsor here on the Brian Nichols Show, CBD. It, man, that stuff. I am so thankful that we are we have Cocaine Mitch in in the Senate who helped get the the hemp um passed through that last farm bill right because that was a big was it through the farm bill I forget but all I know is that if we did not have Cocaine Mitch we would not have CBD and we would not have evils so thank you Cocaine Mitch for uh, having us have the opportunity to have a great sponsor like Evils and to help uh, me get through a lot of the uh, the pain and discomfort that I find myself with with a herniated disc in my back so don't. Don't uh, hurt yourself, folks. Don't get old either. Getting old sucks. Um, anyways, going forward, guys, I, I here today on the Brian Nichols Show uh, Friday, 
I, I am doing two episodes today because I thought it'd be good to have a quick election review, and that is with our good friend Brad Palumbo, breaking boundaries with Brad Palumbo, but also he is uh, featured over on Fee, the Washington Examiner, and a bunch of other great uh, news sites, and, and Brad gives us the postmortem of not only the Joe Jorgensen campaign, but of also uh, what happened uh, with regards to some uh, very pro-liberty ballot initiatives. How about you, California? You guys did some good stuff out there. Um, so talking about that, but and yes, I'd say postmortem uh, of the, the Joe Jorgensen campaign, but overall, just the liberty uh, movement uh, from this past election cycle what went right uh, and a lot of what went wrong and what can we do better we're not you know tossing stones we're trying to be uh, fair but also to acknowledge that where we went wrong and how we can get better and that's yes how we do get better we have to acknowledge where we went wrong folks so uh, yes special episode here with brad palumbo make sure you go ahead and check that episode out otherwise looking ahead to next week guys you know it we have some fantastic episodes lined up looking ahead uh we have coming up Kevin Vallier discussing his brand new book. Max Gulker, economist, returns to The Brian Nichols Show. And our good friend Connor Dragotis also returns to The Brian Nichols Show to discuss how we can help network liberty and get some people in liberty jobs. Three great episodes, so make sure you go ahead again, hit that subscribe button. But otherwise, guys, it's Brian Nichols signing off. You're on The Brian Nichols Show for Ian Dunt. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.